We're back to Whiskey Hill, a podcast from three brown startup enthusiasts that pull back the curtain on business, culture, and side pieces. <laughs> Not those type. We're talking cannabis, blockchain, e-game, and so much more. Without the bullshit, and most importantly, over whiskey. America calls Clyde Black, Athul Brown, and Anthony somewhere in the confusing middle. Progressive. I'm giving you some space there. Just throw in there. All right, he didn't do it. We're three brothers. Various shades of growth. Bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups, mixed with a ton of sarcasm. Cue the music. Slam. Dun 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 Let the boys be boys. Slam. Onyx is on versus, eh? I love it. I love it. No one. Oh, they are? Is that outside? Outside is back over. Quarantine. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's watching. Nobody's versus. watching. Versus. Right now, they put. Oh, I thought you said Onyx was on versus. No, it was. They were. No, they were on like, versus. Like, like when? Like this weekend or something? So, yeah. It was Onyx versus Cypress Hill. Oh shit, that would have been hot. Was good. I mean, Onyx <laughs> kind of won that shit. Onyx kind of won that shit. I, Cypress Hill tapped out after round two. They're like, "Hey man, too hot to continue." It, it, it's, it's funny <laughs> with Cy- it's funny with Cypress Hill. I only know like two songs. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I remember growing up, I was like Cypress Hill, and then I found out that it took the name from the section in Brooklyn. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, Cypress okay. Hill's the yeah, section yeah. in Brooklyn, not in L.A. I was like, huh? Yeah, but whatever. Mm. Deep down inside, whatever. New, just dropping out. The one dude was a big producer on some other shit for a while, like a while. I would see him around, like he was a big, big time dude for a while. Uh, beyond Cypress Hill, like he was, and you're like, oh, and he's still, he was still in the game for over like a good ten years after you heard him. Because that was like what early two thousand. Like, no, Cypress Hill was nineties, late nineties, yeah. early two thousand, early nineties, mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, something like that. They, they, so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the review. <laughs> <laughs> we're having a random conversation. <laughs> yeah. Talk about inflation. Cypress Hill. So, yeah, yeah. I only know two songs of theirs. <laughs> hey, look, that's why you guys keep me around. Keep you, keep you in track. Phillips. <laughs> Yo, you had, you had that one joke last week, too, so that's good. <laughs> oh, okay. Every now and then. Every now and then. You keep me around for a reason. I've been working on this all week, guys. Let me try this. <laughs> So welcome to the Whiskey Hill. We're excited to uh, dive into another episode. Uh, But before we do so, uh, what's up, fellas? What's going on? Inflation. (laughs) (laughs) And and to that point. Uh, Besides inflation, Mark is collapsing. Pete Davidson is still a six, six, a sex symbol somehow. Somehow. Uh, You explain that to me. (laughs) And Patrick Beverly. Scorched Earth, <laughs> that dude went off on everybody. Like, but but you know what he's doing, right? He his his uh, TV value is going up probably five x. Yeah, absolutely. From the time absolutely. he's uh, stepped on the stepped on the uh, stage, so he probably was like a five hundred thousand dollar maybe person now. He he's probably like life after couple million now. Life after the NBA. And that's more. He's thinking life at the NBA. So I looked right. him up, right? I looked up like his like what his his salary this year was seven eight hundred k. I'm like. Oh yeah, he could use a raise, you know. Like get into the broadcast booth, because because you remember Russell Westbrook said, "Yeah, Patrick Beverly's got you all fooled, man." Because like he's not defense; he just looks like you know he like he you know he was talking smack about Russell Westbrook like a year ago, and then now obviously Chris Paul and all these cats. But uh, it's it's, it's worth the Chris Paul thing was kind of eh, you know I get it. <laughs> Chris Paul, Chris yeah. Paul, yeah. That's why I'm saying, like, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, the talent is deep. This dude and Paul George were fighting it out last year to go to the championship. And don't tell me. That's all. I'm going to leave it right there. All right. That's your evaluation. Talent's been in the NBA forever. 
it's easier to score points now because they want that, right? So, um, it because they've set it up that way. But you know, the same ten. There's been harsh ass talent before. So if Paul George and Chris Paul are your saviors and telling me they're the best, some of the best that are fighting for the championship last year, the talent's not that much better than it was before. It's great. It's always been great. It's just different level, different capacities of scoring. Anyway, we'll get out of that. Clyde we'll <laughs> knows exactly that. where I'm going. I didn't. Michael Jordan. Did you know Beverly? <laughs> you know Beverly was from Chicago. I didn't know Beverly was from Chicago. I had no idea. So we make him crazy. That's our thing, I guess. I didn't <laughs> know that. Sounds about right. I'll so. So with, this, so with this with this episode, we'll dive right in. Uh, he comes but, in right but before we do so, my bad. I, I'm laughing right into the mic. Uh, uh, <laughs> I can't even talk. All right, all right, go ahead. With this episode, we'll dive right in. But before doing so, we'll talk about our whiskey of the day. Uh, our bag, ten year old Scotch whiskey. Ten year, ten year age, ten year age, ten year, ten year old. Easy, Michael. All right, ten year old, ten year age. Right, bro. <laughs> Shit. He's like, ooh, ten year old. Ooh. <laughs> 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 trying to go mainstream. We're trying to go mainstream. Oh, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Big fan. I mean, the music. I mean, so we're gonna, we're gonna sip. We're gonna sip on that, and you know, nice and smooth. Uh, but you know, let's dive right in. So last week we had a episode around inflation. We dove into a high level conversation around like what it is, how it's impacting the world. Uh, and then we want to kind of dive a little bit deeper, give a VC perspective and also think about, you know, how the markets are reacting today and, uh, and you know, what's the path forward. So, you know, let's talk about some of the things that's been going on in the world. So if you've been watching closely, uh, Twitter, which was uh, up for sale. Elon was doing his thing. He did a 420 play and did 5420. <laughs> uh, and, you know, shortly after that, the stock is now in the 30s. He woke up one day and said, you know what? All these all these uh, bots that I know are around, they're still there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, I don't want to bid for the company. I want I want to renegotiate, which is smart on his end because the market's going down, and if you pay fifty-four dollars for that stock, you know you're going to be get hit up hard. And you know the world has been impacted. And all the tech sectors, many many sectors are down. Inflation is a major driver. Tech is being hit, uh, and there's a lot of things that's going on. Whether it's advertising, whether it's supply chain, whether it's um, uh, commodities, all these things are being impacted by inflation. So, you know, not only Twitter, but just the world is getting impacted. So I just want to put that out there, fellas, and let you run with it. But why? So the understanding of inflation right now, I think, you know, for our listeners, we can, you know, maybe you two smart gentlemen here can help out. How, why does inflation, how, how and why is inflation affecting the tech sector? It's a little bit easier to understand when it comes down to the product goods section, right? When it comes down to you, you can understand logistics a little bit more, et cetera. But why the tech sector itself? You want to run? You want, go ahead, Glad. You want to jump no. in? I'll jump in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you got to look at the, like at a macro level. So tech is driven, especially free services like Twitter, um, Facebook, and all these other social media services are driven off advertising, eyeballs. So you have the eyeballs that are there. And if you have people who are, you know, pulling budgets back, as a marketer, I'm always trying to find the best value. But if I don't have many dollars to spend, 
I may not go to Twitter, but I may go to LinkedIn. I may not go to LinkedIn, but I may go to Facebook. So if I have a smaller budget and I'm not going to spend with the advertisers, I want to find the most effective tool. And that's going to be driven by the amount of money that I have. I may have to do some layoffs. You see a lot of companies are doing layoffs, hiring freezes. It's a direct reflection of how much revenue that they're bringing in or projecting to bring in over the next couple of quarters because uh, salaries are rising. Um your cost to pass on. But the layoff, the layoff uh, things in inflation have been, especially in the past 20 years, minus the recession. And recession is a different story. Have been a lot of bullshit mm-hmm. responses, right? You, you know, when, when they start laying off people, especially on a larger corporation, mid-tier corporation, small, that's different, right? When you see that cost pressure, the pressure, cost pressure from um, from salaries, you get it. And again, they're doing it. They're they're looking at it from not just today. They're looking at it from a twelve year ramp ramp up, maybe two year ramp up, but like what this looks like over a two year period. Yeah, absolutely. But half of the time is bullshit, you know, because 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 that. they did it, they uh, did it they did it at Viacom for years. And it was, it well, was, no, what, what's what's happening is it's, it's projected margins yeah. in the business. So you have to report out to you have to report out to the to to the state shareholders. And what's happening is you're doing your, you know, two and five year projection and you feel like non-controllable costs are going up. If you can impact the controllable costs, which are salaries, employees and say, you know what, in two years, these these salaries are not going to be on the books, but we still got to pay for, you know, the content. You're going to get that that mix to come down to where it needs to be. So that's why, you know, a lot of these companies are doing layoffs because it's a it's a time where they see costs arising. They can adjust where they need to. Well, I don't have time to be rude, but Viacom <laughs> as a tech company versus Apple and Google as a tech company, completely different ballgames, just because the margins are just different on the products and services. Well, they exactly. Offer, right? So so let's jump to what you just said, AG. So if the stock economy uh, is a forward looking indicator directly to what I say, but whatever. <laughs> no, but you say, hey, why does inflation oh, yeah, okay, imp- yeah, yeah. impact tech? Right. So just to, that one particular question. So, you know, the economy is a lagging indicator. It's gonna, it kind of catches up. Uh, but that's what's really going on. Stock market's just a bunch of BS story. We try to frame it, you know, nice drapes on the house. That might be a shambles. Uh, so the stock, <laughs> when inflation happens, your dollar's not going as far, right? So basically we give in good times, tech companies do these like, I'm t- not the Viacons, them, them too, but like Apples and Amazons and Googles, we give them higher valuations whatever. and higher multiples. So we, we're like, hey, their earnings are always going to be good because the, the money is the purchasing power of the human. Now the person is high. So these higher margin products like the iPhone and all this stuff are going to still be high in the future. So let's give them higher multiples, meaning Apple was reporting earnings. Uh, their revenues were like, whatever. We were giving them 30 times that as far as a stock multiple stock price. Now we're like, OK, maybe people won't be buying these as much. I'm, I'm holding up my iPhone. Sorry uh, for the folks listening. And so we, you know, let's give them maybe 20. It's already down to like 20, 25 range. And it's probably going to go down to 15, 20, which is healthy. It'll, it'll get back up because we overdo things, uh, at 25, 30, in my, my opinion, uh, eventually it might take four or five years, whatever it is. So there's buying the dip. We always hear about that, right? Um, and in the last two, three years, it worked, right? Um, and you know, hey, anytime it dipped, let's get in and then boom, it'll pop right back up. Well, Last two months, I've been trying to do that, and it hasn't really worked that great. <laughs> it keeps going. I dip, you dip, we dip. <laughs> put, your, put your hand up on my butt. I love you. I love you. Go. Not even. <laughs> Damn, man. Put your hand up, man. Busted lip of mine. Um, so, like, I try to catch it. You can't try to catch a knife, falling sword, man. So, like, I try to catch. Now, I'm just pulling back. I said, I was trying to, oh, it's going to dip. It's going to turn around. I, 
three times it caught me uh, on a lot of the tech stocks. And I'm like, oh, this is real. So it's, I think we're nowhere near a bottom. This might be a couple cyclical things. We're going to get these quick pops because people, anyone who listens to CNBC and Bloomberg, they're all short-term outlooks generally. So do li- listen to that and podcasts and all this kind of stuff and books, articles. But a lot of that is a short-term view. Short-term view. Economist is a hard read for you know many people uh, and because they're long, oh, long oh, articles. Economy, that's a long-term yeah, view. They're reading, it's reading their shit, articles though, or listening. I've met I met someone recently. You know, he's he's an economist and he he's breaking it down. And I was just like, dude. And he showed me a couple of his papers, and you start, and they start putting the graphs on there. You're just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's next level, baby. It's not, it's not, but that's but that's, that's, that's long term, right? View. Yep. It's a sign of the time. So, like, uh, you know, so you know, there used to be, and we were talking about this. Sell in May and go away. That was a big banking thing. You sell all your shares right. in May, go hang out for the summer. It's going to be lower volume, might be some volatility, but it'll be, you know, lower quality plays right and then people can come back and where everyone's on vacation because you're forced in banking to take two weeks off and then it trickles up you know you got palm spring yeah you got everything but we should talk about i want people to have a sense of hope because you know because these things do turn around this one might take 12 to 18 months he thought i was gonna say years (laughs) you know you you know usually we have quick bounces like we had a couple quick bounces in the last couple years that's because there's money flooding Man, and then we'll talk about that in the VC market, how it's still flooding. But in the private, in the public markets, it's drying up because government's pulling out. You should, um, you know, I was reading some alarming stat, like 40% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their bank accounts right now. And that's scary. That's, that's scary. always, that's been the case for like the past 20, 30 years. Exactly. And that's because we're a consumption economy, right? We're not saving like other uh, economies on the world. So, which means our economy just is robust, pops out of these bad times quickly because we consume. Uh, but when we, you know, but then that's, that's gay because, you know, jobs and layoffs are going to be happening. We were just talking about how like tech is starting to lay off and some of this is BS, but then what is, what do they do? If Facebook lays off first or freezes hiring, Google and Apple want to have competitive rates too because their earnings reflect all this. So they want to then, they'll start doing that. Oh, if Facebook's laying off, then we can slow down our production in a sense. Or in the last two years when money was hot, Apple and Facebook were hiring each other's engineering. They're like piggy bank and giving them like two X, three X raises uh, to come on and jump. And now that's going to freeze. That's going to dry out, yeah. uh, you know, so that for, for a little bit. Right. So a lot of people's, unfortunately, if you're re- close to retirement, your 401k might be slightly toast right now, but if you can ride it out. So people are prolonging, you know, employment, retirement type of thing. Some people that's going to happen maybe a year or two if they want, if they're in around that age. So if you can ride it out, that's what I always say. I mean, we've been saying this since day one on this pod, save, invest and plan for the future. That's all. Cause all this shit's going to keep happening. This is predictable. This will happen again. Once you get out of it, it'll happen again within we'll see, five to yeah, 12 years, depending we'll on how we'll see it in 2030 get. again. We'll see, like, this is, it's just so yeah, like, potentially <laughs> I just, so, so that's why Warren, Warren Buffett's model is like, you know, just S and P 500, you know, the Dow over the long term, you get, you know, a greater return on your money than playing all over the place because the market, continue to grow over time. You know, some people agree with that theory. Some people don't. But, you know, the data has proven out over the last, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten decades where the markets continually grew. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, I think 60, 70, 60, 65% of the t- time, time markets are up, yeah. right? So 30, 30, you know, like one, one in, you know, so you're going to win three out of five times, let's say. But if you stay for the long haul, it usually is up and to the right. Let's hope. Right. Not right now, yep. but usually yep. um, you knew a simple way to be healthy 
is mimic what the Fed is doing. If the if the Fed last couple of years was dumping money into the markets, every asset class was going up, right? So if you had a house, that's going up. If you you know, and if you had and you buy stocks because they're going up. Now they're pulling money out. They're selling off treasuries, bonds, and all this. So like, and then they're pulling money out. The quantitative tightening that we talked about last episode. Sell, sell. You know, try to pre, not, try to get out before they start selling all. But then get in in a healthier. When you're comfortable to get back in, that's when you get back because you'll you'll be sitting on some cash. Try to mimic what they're doing sometimes, Man. which I did not do with Tom. Well, I, so it's funny <laughs> when, when it comes to the tech stocks, right? You know, again, I'm saying there's pressure. Um, they have different kinds of pressures that they they look at in comparison to different industries itself. There's I, to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, which I probably am. They're quicker to rebound because yeah. because of their portfolio in itself of products and offerings that they ha- that they have are a lot more dynamic and needed from a societal side of it, right? You know, when when you look at Amazon and, and when you look at Google, um, you know, I, I bring them, I bring these guys up because they have a cloud service. You know, I've been I've always talked about this. Yeah. Yep. Cloud in itself, regardless if they drop money and Google's 800 there, you know, when it comes to digital advertising next Google and Facebook are the 800 pound gorillas of, of, of the space, but their cloud services are what's the, what's the real growth. It, it continues to grow, right? It's not going to disappear. Yeah. They're just competing against each other and those services are going to continue to bolster and keep on growing. They're not going to be, you know, well, AWS is a whole different beast. Google Cloud in itself is going to continue to grow. So that's why I'm just, I look at it from a product. There might be have, have issues in certain product elements of their portfolio, but not the entire beast. Yeah. And, you know, in the Fed and government is supposed to work together uh, or, or, or alongside and just keep the economy and us healthy, right? So they lower an inch. So Fed lowers an inch and raises interest rates to stimulate or slow down the economy. And, and then, you know, and then so they're basically just manipulating the market and to maintain inflation and employment rates. They always want to hover around two. They've kept that at zero for zero, no reason. We all benefited. <laughs> you know, everything, you know, our values in our homes went up and just the markets went up and everything. So it was this cheaper cost of capital. But these things are going to change. This all started back, you know, with TARP and the bailouts in 2008, oh, 2009. We're going, we're going they, back to TARP. <laughs> no, that, that's that's where a lot of this started, yeah, right? Uh, and but then, how do you know when you're in the middle of something that catastrophic? You you're throwing shit at it to fix it. But then we, once you get out of that, it, it's right. You right. You said it. But then, hey, once you start easing out, we get we get high on that supply. We talked about last time. You try to pull that the easy money away from consumers. I think we're gonna have a credit bubble. I, I think people are not another credit bubble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, so I think because I think people are still used to their lifestyle, whether but their dollars are not going as far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they might cut down a little bit expenditure, but they're still going to spend more than they should be because maybe they don't understand like, hey, their money's worth this much now versus a year ago. So that's the problem. And then people are going to be buying on credit. So the, look at the long term effects of that your credit goes down. So then the, you're eventually you're going to have some little people who can't pay their or they're paying high interest to get these loans off. Then their credit worthiness goes down. So then banks have to lower their standards of who they give these loans to, which is a lower quality or a less chance of a return on investment. Remember, the banking is a loan and repayment play. It's not just a loan play. <laughs> so that's that's how the whole cycle is. It's a vicious cycle. But guess what, baby? That's capitalism. But, you see, that's how but with that being said, you know, with you two, do you see it becoming an issue this summer? Right. Because we're now, you know, as you mentioned, we're now going into the summer. And and they're all they're predicting that travel is going to drastically increase, and then you yeah, and then yeah. you run into so, the holidays, 
right around. So are you seeing the potential, you know, not, I'm not saying catastrophic, but a potential ish storm um, when it comes down to the constant spending, but prices are increasing and therefore, but your dollar doesn't go as far. So like, where do you, where do you, what do you guys see? What do you guys think? I, I think, uh, like Athul said, I think it'll take some time and credit will prop everything up. If you think about a lot of the purchases that's been made, it's been made probably two, three, four, five months ago. Uh, people who were stuck in the house, they wanted to get their great return. Outside is back open. So flights are being booked in advance, resorts and vacations and everything. You know, they'll get to these locations and yes, stuff will be a little bit more expensive, but they're already there. So they're going to spend. So fall, early 2023, I think it's where the impact is going to happen. You know, like credits will be propped up uh, and it'll it'll take time and people will be hit and they'll be hit hard. So, and I think the economy will start to reflect that. So um, recently, you know, Target reported um, and their stock is, their their stock is getting hurt because, you know, consumer, uh, consumers are buying. However, the margins on their products are dramatically underperforming. So that means they have to sell the products at a lower rate and they're going to collect less money when they uh, when they sell those products. So, you know, they're trying to keep the sales. But, you know, in order to keep the sales, you got to make less money. And the shareholders, they're not around for that. They need to return yeah. on their investment. So that's that's going to be a constant theme. You know, Walmart, yeah. Target, all these consumer uh, consumer consumer stocks. Uh, they're going to be all hit in this same model, and I think everything is going to follow through um, throughout, throughout over time. Well, I think the, the, the you true, know the CPI index. No, I was going to say the true right. indicator right now to me, you know, like this, the true indicator of everything when it comes down to how bad it's going to be or or could be is the holidays when it comes down to TJX, Target, and Walmart. Right? You you'll we'll see after the after the holidays how the consumer spending looks and their, how their margins really look. Right? Right now, you, it is what it is. Right. You know, You're saying holidays in the summer? No, ho- the end of the year. End of the year. Like end, end of the year. year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's the true test of what the retail market really looks like. The summertime doesn't mean that it's not the game changer. It's the, it's the holiday season because that's when people prop up their, they got, they stack their cash if they can and then purchase at the end of the year. Um, mm-hmm. and what that margin look like, looks like, right? That's really like, you know, like they said, if Walmart can't figure this shit out, Half of the people in the country can't. Most of the people in the country can't, right? If Walmart has to be able to figure out how yeah. people get products off the shelf and keep a margin. Same thing with Target. Yeah, I mean, like if like in March, and I don't know what the April numbers are, but March, like if our, if our incomes, personal incomes went up like half a percent, but cost of goods went up almost 0.9%. So we're at, you're at a 0.4, but people didn't see that. Like, hey, I'm, I got more money than I was getting you know, a month ago, uh, you know, before, so I can go buy more, but yeah, you're actually, you're down <laughs> if you're down 0.4% because things are costing more. So our standard of living is actually going down a little bit for the short term. So these are things that people just got to recalibrate. That's all, we're all a big, big proponent of just saving, saving, right? Um, cause your purchasing power is diminished, right? That's what the government and fed are supposed to do, uh, to keep everything kind of normalized. Hey, get the interest rates in check. So the economy stays in checks. And then, hey, our purchasing power remains in check as well. They don't want us to be able to purchase too much, which we did last couple of years. And then this happens. Now, you know, Powell did say last year, I'm not knocking him. I wouldn't want to be in his role. (laughs) But he was like, hey, we don't want to we don't want to push too hard. We want to watch inflation last year, you know, last year with interest rates and all that. They wanted to ease into it. Guess what? Now they're kind of late. So they're catching up, which is going to potentially it's hard breaks. If we're not already there, drive us into recession, probably. 
you need one of those every eight to 10 years, but this is like, we just had kind of one, a short one <laughs> two years ago, obviously. And then we had a crazy amount of growth. We can get into some other things about like in the, in the VC space sure. as well, but look, yeah. look at crypto, look at crypto, man. We should go, that's a quick in and out conversation. They're, they're, that's a shitty ass place because right? <laughs> people who are all in, in the crypto space, right? Um, think about it this way. If you work at a crypto company, so, you know, 95 Ooh. to 98% of these projects are going to fail. We already know yep, this. I mean, yep. it's just a, a prediction. I don't know. I'm, I'm not Nostradamus. I kind of am, though. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but 90% whiskey, of these are probably going to be. It's whiskey Damas. Whiskey Damas. <laughs> whiskey Damas. In a hot economy, that's okay because you can just keep funding the next one. But in a compressed economy where we're at right now, the consumer is not financially healthy because if you're working at a crypto company, you're probably all, a majority of these facts, let's say 50 to 60% of these folks, they're all in on this space. So everything they've got is in that. So their lifestyles are going to get severely impacted. So they're going to have to sell things to get groceries and gas. They might cut back on spending and other things, but they're going to have to sell their crypto to pay their bills, let's say. So that's imploding in valuations. Just that vicious cycle I was talking about. It's capitalism. So they're going to draw it out. Now think about any other banks or investors, and we'll get into this later on, but like they're having to draw down a lot from other places they're investing for future investors. Like VC's seeing this a lot too, right? Um, we can jump into that whenever you want, but um, Let's do it. You know, if you want, we. Okay. So like VC, like the past decade, past 10 years, VC has raised more money than any other 10 year period in history. Right. So that impacts the private markets now. Um, so there's a $250 billion is more than more that has been raised than has been deployed, put into companies. So that amount of capital is sitting on the sidelines still. So that could be powerful as valuations kind of start to get reined in. We're not paying crazy stuff, three customers and, you know, $20 billion valuation pre-product, <laughs> the shit you were seeing the last couple of years, right? So, and, you know, so we're going to become more disciplined. This is getting back to what VCs, my side of it, wants to see as far as, hey, let's invest in quality versus chasing the Fuck bag that. without the due diligence. Chase, <laughs> chase, chase the bag. No, I'm just joking. No, no. <laughs> no, but look look at the whole thing with capital calls is coming now, right? So what does that mean? So let's say you have a VC group and 10 people commit as LPs, limited partners. Mm-hmm. We're going to park. We're going to park. Okay. A million me, uh, tw- 10 million this guy, 13 million, you know, 3 million her, 14 million her, this other female investor, whatever it is. You, and you aggregate that to 100 mil. You're not getting all of that day one. They're going to come. They, they might put like 15, 20, 30% now, and they'll give you another like in about a year now. Right now, VCs that we're raising, they were deploying. Usually it takes three years to deploy your first round yep. of capital. They were doing that all within a year because they're chasing, chasing, chasing. Because, you know, the founders, like, it was all in their favor. Like, oh, we got this company, pre-product, making $30 billion on our on paper, right? And, and then people are just throwing money at it. Now, that's going to change. So now we're going to get back to that, hey, every two to three years, we're going to deploy that first 50%. Um, so LPs, when you capital call means, hey, give me, you know, if you gave me $2 million of the $5 million you promised me, give me that next $3 million now because I'm going back to invest. They might say, ain't got it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't have it because what, what do they have to do? They have to draw down from their other invest parts of their portfolio and then do this I, in a small scale. I'm doing this myself personal. I'm like, OK, I've looked into some companies I really want to park, but now I'm going to be more selective because, look, I'm looking at your track record and seeing where we're going for the next two yeah. years. And and that's going to dictate how I want to you know spend. Um, but then I'm seeing some VC opportunities that make perfect sense because everywhere else is shit, too. So, you know, this is a long-term horizon. Maybe go for it at a proper valuation. Rain your valuations in. So the pro- the problem is LPs that are going to park in that next 20, 30% that they owe you that they already committed to a year or two prior, they may say they look, they're going to look at the track record of what you did. You were investing as a VC and companies at 
far too high valuations the last two, three years. They're like, well, that's going to give them a reason. 2008, 2009, this happened. The VCs mm. ripped up the papers and they're like, okay, you know what? We don't, we're not going to ask you to commit to that paper. I don't know why you'd ever do that. If they committed to it, you know, it's kind of like Elon with his thing. He's gonna, that's why he's going to pay that billion dollar breakup fee. They want you to pay breakup fees because you're, you're wasting everyone's time <laughs> in a sense. So there's huge funds, right? When you know the market, you know, the market was a mess when the later stage rounds, let's say they're like a billion, two billion, three billion, and they feel really secure at that space, safe. Oh, we're going to get this IPO. We're going to make seven billion. Hey, we're going to two X, three and X our money. At that high valuation, that's scary. It's usually the earlier folks who feel more secure. You're taking on the most risk. But if you're putting in less than $5 million into a company or 10 whatever it is, you feel better about getting returns in the millions versus doubling or tripling a billion-dollar valuation. So when you, we saw that the last year and a half we, with the SPACs and all this kind of BS. Now it's getting reined in. So they should always come back to like the earlier stage investors. Yes, more risk, but they have better chance of getting their money returned because it's not at these – it's, it's 10 to 30 million versus 3 billion, right? Um, so those guys need multi meg, meg, like mega, mega winners versus a smaller stage fund, 50 to 100 million. He's like one to two to outsize three, maybe, you know, the mega, mega billion dollar funds. That's why they raise too much money. So, um, the power is coming back to the employers and the founders, like the founder. I'm sorry. Funders, not founders. Founders, you know, kick rocks. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, they're going to have to reel in a little bit more as to what's going to happen now. So if you have high growth, but like decent burn, you have a better chance of collecting, uh, securing some money from a VC. Mm-hmm. You're on okay. the flip of that, right? <laughs> if you have decent growth, but really high churn, it's going to be much harder or you're going to get a much lower valuation than what you're thinking on paper. That, you know, so if you can, as a founder, lengthen your runway as far as, hey, before, you know, give you two mil that's going to run you for six months to 12 months. If you can stretch that to 18 months, cause you're not going to be able to get capital every six to 12 months. If you can run it for 18 months to two years and then see that show, show us how you're being efficient with your capital. That, so this, I'll, so this, I'll point, let you go. Yeah. this point right here goes back to exactly what AG was talking about, but on a smaller scale, you think about your burn rate, how he just said, if you can get from six, to six months to 18 months, think about that from the employees that they're going to have to let go. Even if it's a smaller company, they're trying to get their burn rate to go a little bit longer. So the same things happens at Viacom. Same thing happens at the larger organizations like Twitter. They're trying to get it to go further. Um, it's just a different output. So, yeah. you know, as a VC, as a VC investor, uh, <laughs> you want to see that. And I think that's a great, a great point. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I'm watching for in that kind of same space is what new businesses come out of this kind of recessionary type of uh, recessionary, inflationary type marketplace. The dopest ever. Some of the dopest ever. In my point, exactly. So if you think about the last recession kind of environment, you know, you got your Airbnbs, you got, you know, these huge companies that were founded during rough times because you had to find the businesses who could really think about something, figure it out. They didn't, they weren't propped up with cash. They had to get their products in a good space and they had to create a real business versus, you know, having something that was uh, not really that good, but just had a good team or, you know, a famous yeah, founder yeah. or the right VC, the right, the right VC behind them. So, you know, that's what I'm most curious about, about this time is that that business that pop comes out of this time. I know like Uber's Airbnb's Google came out of an environment like this, right? Early two yeah. thousands, uh, Disney launched in the great depression, I think. So these are dope ass companies that have been around for a long time. On that right? one. Nice one. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but Disney's a company that's very relevant. Yeah, right no, now. You're, you're <laughs> I mean, versus Paramount Viacom, you know. Well, no, I, 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 <laughs> I, I get it. No, so the idea when I brought up the whole layoff thing, because there was, you know, there's some companies. Uh, well, uh, let's not go down that route. Uh, let's let's keep it simple. Uh, but you're right. I think I think the it's going to be interesting to some of the industries too. I would say that were propped up during this during this high high cash period. Um, in the past two or three years are going to play out and, you know, what those industries look like. The one, are they still going to be solid or, or, or are they going to feel the effects? I think a couple, I, I can say right now, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence of which way the uh, online gambling space is going to go. Um, because, you know, there is a point where you can constantly, you know, toss your cash in there. But when you, when you, when you're broke, you know, the lottery does well too. Right. So, <laughs> online gambling can still do well, especially since it's, you know, easily, easy to do. Um, I'm just interested to see, especially like that space. Um, what happens if things get tight, really tight in the next year or so? And one of the things that, you know, I'll even take a step back is, you know, we talk about business that's going to be created. But think about market opportunities that's ready to hit the ground and running. Um, AG, you talked about cloud services uh, recently, and that's, you know, you think about businesses that can come out of this time and inflation. Yes, it may have an impact, but the long term view isn't that impactful. I think about cloud services as a business that's going to be hit the ground running, because right now the business uh, is on a on a cager, which is compound annual growth rate is on like a 16 percent forecast for the next. Yeah, uh, for the annual uh, over the next, you know, five to seven years, the market is supposed to pretty much 2x uh, from like 400 billion to almost uh, 950 billion. So there's a lot of room to run, a lot of areas of opportunity. So what other markets and growth areas are there out there that are like that? Healthcare, 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 hands down. And that one's you, you see a lot of it already. And a lot of them, which will need cloud services. Too. Well, so we'll all of it, everything, services. everything, to me, everything's everything is going to be on top of the cloud, cloud, right? And it's all about who. Let me, who let me make one statement to Clyde and you take it. For it. Let, let's piggyback on what Clyde just said and then take it on the healthcare because that's all, that, you know, that space. So just think about like if you, from an expenditure standpoint, as, an, as a funder or an employer, you're going to back off on advertising spend. You're going to see that quicker. You might back off on cloud spend later. So that's a delayed reporting. So you might not see that for a while. I mean, you know, so that just keep that in mind. So you're going to back off. Hey, I, within, if I can see if an ad works within a week or two or maybe even shorter, then I might just cut back on that spending right off. Well, but you know, the cloud spending you might need unless your company is shrinking or something. Well, like cloud that. spending, cloud spending itself is, you know, in comparison to, against advertising, you're not going it's to, infrastructure. you're not going to see the spending drop, right? The, the thing is, it's so competitive. Well, you'll see some of it drop depending on how and how, how you move, but they're there. And the size of your business. Size your, that's all. Yeah. Size yeah. Of your business. So they're growing. All right. So if you look at it from, I guess, a small company perspective, a startup, even a medium sized company, it's so, like you said, it's so important to your business that you cannot not spend on it. The question is who, who's offering the best services, the best, you know, whatever works for your company. And which provider is, you know, who, 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 who is it? Right. And, and when you got the two 800 pound gorillas going after it and 800 pound gorillas in cloud are Microsoft, Azure and AWS and Google's a, you know, a third, when you got those guys going after each other, like they're they're and they're offering whatever they can to bring you in to their fold. Right. Um, 
It's, it's, uh, you know, I don't, it's going to be quite interesting to see how that keeps on playing out during, even if we hit a, a dangerous recession. With that being said, I, you know, I, the healthcare side, listen, healthcare is going to do well regardless, right? There, there, you know, at least, at least it depends on what the product is, right? I think that we saw a massive influx of mental health apps come out in the last, in the last year to last two years. Um, Depends on how those play out, what their business model is. A lot of them want to offer discounted, you know, therapy sessions. You got, you know, you know, from, from like the Noom to, uh, what that's more about dieting, but like, what's a headspace? All those apps play the healthcare space very well. You saw what's Mark Cuban's company that's on the pharma tech side that he, you know, he, purchased. oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Those are all prescriptions. Yeah. They're right? all yep. going to play a huge role and everything's going to be sectored. Right. It's going to be they're going to take the massive healthcare space and carve and they're carving it up to hit to certain delivery um, endpoints. Let's take that. Mark Cuban's thing is a B2C play, but that's still a great play because you need those meds. Yep. Right now, the, the mm-hmm. calm apps and what's the other one? Calm, calm big one. headspace, noon. Well, well, um, headspace. Yeah. Thing. yeah. So let's, let's take those two. Right. Because I have heard of those two before. So those are B2C plays right now. That works. It's great, but you get some churn, then they're off and they usually don't come back on. What I, what I, I remember we talked about, we debated this in my class about a month ago. They should go to a B2B play, get with it, try to get some sort of health coverage and get the insurance mo- fo- folks to cover it. Go to like Google, say, Hey, let's do an umbrella for all your, your employees. And if they're participating, your health rates, your insurance premiums that you pay on your, Employees will go down. They got to work that triage right there. Yeah, B two B play would be the best thing for them, and then that can work into their mental health because mental health is needed. Well, as we know, well, right? Any, anything. The B two B play is good. the interesting part with the with with companies that are come out B two C. It's really how they structure, as we all know here, how they structure the deal with the company or the insurance company, right? The, right. That's that's really exactly. that's the unique side, right? It's it's no different. Like if we all look at our own companies, that you know, you work for your company and they offer all these services. Right. <laughs> They're like, oh, you got this service, that service. I don't know what the percentage of people who use those services, like there's like the <laughs> telehealth, like, you know, when they initially came out with, oh, you got the telehealth care that you can go to case. Yeah, yeah. But then but if you incentivize them somehow, yeah, right? but then they say, if you incentivize this is what them you can somehow. do telehealth with, you can only go for if you got this, that and this, anything else, you need to go into the office. Right. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. There's a unique side of how that all plays out when you do the B2B deals, right? Especially if they're, they were really focused on B2C and want to flip to guarantee the money on the B2B side. Um, and that's where I think it, it becomes like you guys have always mentioned in previous podcasts, like what that team looks like and what they, how they structure that, uh, their, their business model. And that's the game, right? Like you can, you can, if you want to get out of this recession or, or get that guaranteed money, it's, how you structure that initial business B2B deal that's really going to allow for you to one, sustain yourself and potentially grow because you still, if, I think you get the insurance. Yeah, go for it. No. Go for it. No, get the insurance folks on the table first and then go to there and show them the benefits. And then boom, then you get the, cause there's more of them. Uh, there's less of them to get signed up and subscribe to the whole idea and then go to the companies. Cause then you can go just to a couple of major players, set a precedent and then boom, you can roll it out. That's, I think that could be a huge play or have a government operation. Make a partnership with the government and have them do something, man. You get a B. They need volume now, less than you know, because the margins are going to be compressed in yeah. that kind of B two C play for those kind of apps, yeah. right? Just the mental health apps I'm talking about. So, so with that, I mean, this space has a ton of area opportunity. In addition to you know ways to stave off inflation, inflation. Um, so that's something for us to keep. That's to continue to watch because <laughs> sorry, you know, <laughs> finding new opportunities is is your best bet. 
to stave off inflation. I mean, you know, prices are going to continue to go up. I just think back to, you know, as a kid in high school, you pay two ninety nine for a number one at McDonald's. And now you go there, it's like nine dollars. So you just oh, got to get really. Yeah, you just gotta get prepared for it. Um, no, like so, you know, hamburgers not even that good. That goes Shake Shack now. <laughs> hey, the, the cost of those fries and cheese is going up. So you know, you just gotta get ready for it. Um, you think that cheese makes itself? I gotta pull it out the box, <laughs> put some water in it, make some cheese. Right? <laughs> Sitting real, so, man. Oh, hilarious. So yeah, so with that, you know, we just start looking to the inflation and the different opportunities as a carry on to the part one episode that we. Dropped last week, so you know we definitely want to get your uh, your your feedback and make sure you share comments with us. Um, but you know, before we before we hop off, we want to just dive into the good part of the show that we like to call "shit you should know." Um, so with that, you know, I want to kick off. Oh, you know, whoa, I saw one. Of them. Whoa, I saw. Hey, oh, you're kicking off. Great one. Huh. Yeah, Jeez. I saw one of the most amazing. <laughs> One of the most amazing marketing uh, campaigns just yesterday in New York City. Oh, um, oh you're my, taking it. You're taking mine. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it was uh, it was old school marketing, uh, but but uh, Grubhub. Grub, Grubhub. Grubhub advertised for like a week or so that they're buying everyone in New York City lunch. They had oh, a damn. 50, uh, they had a fifth. <laughs> And a $15 gift code Hold on. that you can use. They advertise it for a week? Yeah. It so you was clearly can't afford McDonald's with $15. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Compla- you complain that the water is wet. Look, you need to take this $15 and run. But basically, uh, as a marketer, I marveled at this because essentially they probably increased their database of people they either had the app and never used it or hasn't used it in a while or got new mm-hmm. people to download the app. Uh, probably millions of people did it. I know I did. I did it, and when I went to Chipotle to pick up my uh, burrito, there was a line outside the door of probably fifty people, who all wow. did the same thing. And there was various restaurants in the city. I was only in Midtown yesterday. There's Sweet Greens, uh, Chop, mm. Chipotle, Potbelly. All these restaurants were packed so much so that it's kind of like a broke the internet moment for uh, for Grubhub. Because, you know, a lot of these restaurants were not able to fulfill the orders. It probably ended up being a bad experience. But now they have access to the database. The database is the most valuable thing because now they're able to go in, remarket these customers who have used the app. Even if they only keep 5 to 10% of the people who downloaded the app and got the free $15, I imagine their lifetime value of a user is more than $15. So you aggregate that over the 10%, 10, 10 on my estimate, that probably is going to use it again. Let's say $150 is what you need to break even per customer. Think about what people are ordering on Grubhub. I know I ordered the other day and my bill was $90 for uh, for, dinner, for dinner for a family of five. So you think about that. Over five? Weeks. Shit. For, me, for two people, I'm, I'm at 60. <laughs> <laughs> so you think about that, you aggregate that. So I just, my hat goes off to the Grubhub team. Putting that together, fifteen dollar investment. Let's say they spent fifteen million dollars in uh, gift codes. It's a well worth investment because a Super Bowl ad is seven million dollars, and that's thirty seconds, and you get nothing mm. out of it except for eyeballs and awareness. Well, yeah. so I, I have a different perspective. So the I'm hearing the feedback was some restaurants were just like we weren't ready for, we weren't aware, exactly, we yeah. weren't told mm-hmm. about this. 
Right. 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 And so they got this influx of orders that weren't delivered or mm-hmm. weren't picked up. And so there was a lot of food yeah. waste and they just weren't ready for delivery side. It wasn't like they gave re- people notice to ramp up for that one day. Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. But, you know, in my mind. Yeah. In, in my mind. Um, I'll advertise. <laughs> Uh, 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 advertising is good advertising. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, let me let me jump on mine real quick. Um, so I, I was going to do that one, but you sold it. Um, so the other one is just interesting. You know, something that's interesting that I saw uh, uh, since you know you know everybody loves Tesla. Uh, it's the it's the <laughs> whole idea of like more cars, more car companies are getting into uh, the, you know are in, already into the electric market, uh, electric vehicle market. It's the idea now Ford is offering like a engine crate, uh, their crate engine, which is, you know, you can buy the engine itself. You know, typically they've always been out there. Most, a lot of car companies, you just buy the engine so you can swap engines out to your car, et cetera. But now they're, you know, offering the crate, what they call a crate engine, where you can buy the electric engine and swap it out so you can, so you can put it into your car. So they're now, the issue now is really parts, all the additional parts that needed to mm. turn your car into an electric vehicle. And now markets, that market is starting to open up. The issue has been, has typically been because Tesla is a closed shop. They're kind of like Apple, right? Where, you know, if you want to get your car fixed, you got to go to Tesla. You can't go to a separate dealers because only they know how to work on it. And that's starting to open up because of mechanics leaving and going, doing their own thing. And so that market, because of other players getting into it, potentially is going to open up of separate mechanics who can fix your electric vehicle or you can convert it. That's going to be interesting to see down the line. If you have a car that you love that you've had yeah. for 20, 30 years, and can you convert it into an electric vehicle? I think that's something that is going to be on the market. But I think this crate engine that Ford offers starts off at 5000 which isn't bad. Mm. Oh, damn. Um, yeah. Um, I think it starts off. Don't quote me. I could be wrong. But you know, I think you're going to start seeing that come down the the, the pike. Is it pike or is it pike? Whatever. Uh, something to pay attention to when it comes to electric vehicles. All right. Um, mine is going to be uh, Twilight Batman, um, the, emotion, the <laughs> non-emotionally available Batman. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bats, they're going, mm, I can't fight the bad guys. I'm not emotionally available today. Mm. I'm kidding. Twilight Batman. So, no, I'm just kidding. So wrong. Um, so I, wrong. I'm going to give I'm going to give it to, you know, because I wanted to bring up Givenchy. You don't need Givenchy. You need Jesus. Just another Jack Harlow tribute. I'm just kidding. That line. There's two lines in there that just always stand out. Um, okay. Million Dollar Women. I'm speaking at that. Uh, I didn't really have much. You can tell. I'm just floating in. I'm speaking at it this Friday. I don't know if I'm doing invest. I think I did investment last year. So I'm doing, I did an investment thing last year on venture, how to raise venture cap. I think this mm-hmm. year I'm judging a pitch competition, uh, nice. but I know two of the people in it. So oops, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll be fair. Uh, and then last one, man, you know, I got four um, top 10 city with the most billionaires. New York city is mm. back in number one spot after six year hiatus. And then it, outside, I think it's, it's San Francisco and is like six, seven, something like that. You got London, New York City. The others are all Asian <laughs> cities. Wow. So, okay. yeah, I think, you know, Beijing is probably number two. I think Beijing was number one last year. Uh, and they'll probably get back in uh, to number one next year. But, like, you know, just in San Fran, San Fran fell like three, four spots because it went from, I think, four billionaires left, <laughs> right? They went somewhere well, else. Right? They went Texas. They probably went to Texas, Texas. and Miami because of uh, well, it was we know we know two of them. Elon is one. He went to Texas, and then Keith Keith Raboy went to Miami. He's like mm. the ambassador for Miami. Uh, so you know, 
in a sense. So there's there's two of them right there, and there's probably a couple. But I thought most of them went back, but they had a net attrition of just basically four or something like that. But Mumbai, you know, Indian city, number eight. <laughs> Number eight. But Asian History Month. I was just throwing that in there. Just to throw Clyde off and it's Asian History Month. You know, seven of the top ten most billionaires. But, you know. Flex. Cool. Flex. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So, yeah. So, you know, let's talk about our whiskey of the day, which is the oh, Arbeg 10-year. Um, pretty. It, it was like a, a, a peaty, smoky, kind of clom- complex single malt that uh, I really appreciated. It was a little sweet. You know, Thule loves that. But it was a nice balance. <laughs> it was a, it was a nice balance. Um, as one, one, if you're into the PD like like AG typically is, you know, I I recommend this one. No, he's interested in burnt rocks, uh, like Lafroy. <laughs> I like PD. I like a quality PD. Like Lagula, what we did last week is awesome. I love that's the that's the apex of being the great the perfect blend of pd nice texture smoothness to it uh Lafroig is kind of blunt but people like that ardbeg 10 so i remember i bought this in the like, i bought that digits the pippin digits and i said yep. that was a little pricey i'm like oh let me buy something at a lower price point i tried ardbeg and it was one of the slays i lays and um it's it's pretty good for its price point it's really good i yep. like it's a smooth and ardbeg obviously clearly has multi-layers of bottles out there, they had the Arbeg Black, which is like a two, three hundred dollar bottle, I think, uh, and then they have a couple others that we tried on the pod before. But Arbeg Ten, give it a shot. It's it's smooth, it's smooth than you would think for its price point. It's got that peatiness to it. So again, you finish with this one. You start with the Oban light, light smokiness, work your way up to this. Boom, <laughs> done. Nice, nice, nice. So this has been another episode of the Whiskey Hue. Thanks for listening. Make sure you rate us, listen, recommend to your friends. Peace.